0: this is like episode 100 for this season because we don't know how to cut it off isn't that right we just keep going we're like the energizer bunny
1: yeah we do have a lot of episodes though I looked and we oh we can talk about our website we launched a website we can we can talk about that yeah so uh we'll get to that but on that website it actually posts that we have at least like 30 or 40 episodes at this point. And I was just looking at some of our analytics and we've had over 9,000 listens to this podcast. What's Are happening? you serious? No, I'm serious. I just looked earlier.
0: You did? Yeah, I did. I'm actually really proud of you.
1: Don't yeah, be proud of me. Be proud of you. This was your idea.
0: It was, but I don't, I mean, now we're just like seeing if it was a good idea. So it's like fake, but it worked out really well for
1: us. What are we drinking today? Prosecco. Yeah, I'm drinking water. I'm yeah. 80 to 120 ounces of water a day. So I'm drinking water. I know people are disappointed in that, but it is what it is. One week won't, won't be that bad, right?
0: No, I think it's fine. I mean, I think it is what it is, right? Like you're drinking water, you're being really healthy. I'm drinking Prosecco because it's the end of the school year and anyone in education knows that May is just a circus.
2: So, May is,
1: the worst. <laughs> May is really the worst. I mean, it it, it actually is. We were—I was just having this conversation with someone, and we were laughing about it. Like, to be an administrator in May is just difficult. It's challenging.
0: Well, yeah, things come up, and you're like, I don't even know this was going on. So, yeah.
1: that's well, where we're at. It is. So, where should we begin today? We were—we've oh. been on some really, really big tangents, but I do think our listeners deserve an update. About your friend that was going for the job. There was something like she was going for the job and they posted the salary and it was 120 to 130. She's been there a long time. They gave her 120 and you advocated get yourself back out there and get that 130. And so, do you have an update? I I do actually have an update. So, she did
0: reach out and ask for an in person meeting because she said, you know, I thought about this and I was given the lowest range and I know I verbally accepted, but I would love to talk about it. And so they did raise her salary by $5,000. And then they also said, you know, there's, um, she gets bonuses now in her new position, quarterly bonuses. So that would go above and beyond like the missing 5% that she, um, would be potentially missing. So I guess it's like a medium, it's not like the best ending, but it's like a good ending to the story.
1: You know what it is. It's you encouraging her to go back and advocate for herself because the reality is she probably just would have taken it and also thought about, and she needed you to encourage her. And then she acted on it. Good for her. Yeah. I know I was proud of her. I mean, if you don't ask, you don't know.
0: And if you just sit there and complain about it to your friends, but you don't actually go talk to somebody who can do something about it. You're just doing yourself a disservice.
1: Yeah. We talk about this in the book. And so nothing's going to happen unless you go out and advocate for yourself. Hey,
0: that's right. No one's going to be your hero
1: except for you. That's right. We had a whole (laughs) chapter on that. Well, this is great news. This is good news. Okay. We like it. What else are we talking about today? We have a lot of
0: things. We have a lot of different tangents that we can go on, like at the end of the day. We talked about we talked, we we learned a new word, like a new phrase. I know that people think I made up the word sesh, but I didn't. Sesh is like a mini, just like meeting. Courtney's eyes right now are like, you are an idiot. Anyways, we learned a new phrase from a fellow administrator. What is the phrase, Courtney? Drop a dime. Yeah. <laughs> drop a
1: dime. Just go drop <laughs> a dime. And I had no idea what that meant. I feel like I'm Googling more things to figure out what my vocabulary is lacking these days, but drop a dime. And I guess drop a dime means like, go tell, say something.
0: I didn't know that. And I do want to say that when I Googled it, because I just Googled it right now, definition of drop a dime on as in talk to give information to the authorities about another's improper or unlawful activity.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I didn't know that either. I was like, what does she mean by drop a dime? That's such a Well, it op- wasn't used in that context, like something no. criminal. It was more just like drop a dime. It was just <laughs> funny. I've just never heard that. And I didn't expect it from, the, from that person. And then I was thinking that even in the book, I remember we were writing a chapter and you started like making up some other words and we were talking- No, about- I wasn't making it up. It was
0: let yeah. your free flag fly.
1: Oh, well that's another one. Yeah. I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking oh. of a different one in another chapter, but it doesn't matter. It, the right. bottom line was, <laughs> listeners, we didn't know what drop a dime, but now we do. Yeah, we know. We know and now yeah. we
0: can, we can talk about it. You know what
1: else we need to talk about really fast? Dr. Kamako.
0: She oh. just got a new position and we are so proud
1: of her. Isn't that right? Well, we've had Dr. Kamako Patterson on the podcast You know that we love her. She is the epitome of an F4 leader. We also have had Dr. Tony Sanders, the new state superintendent in Illinois. And this week, guess what? Dr. Kamako Patterson has become the chief of staff for Dr. Tony Sanders. Great selection, Dr. Sanders. And congratulations to Kamako. Yeah. I mean, I feel great about it for her. But it's a big job. It's an excellent
0: choice. It's an excellent choice. Amen. You know what else we need to talk about today? What we saw on Twitter, where we saw the article about parents feeling like, you know, especially post pandemic, feeling the need to bring advocates to school meetings with um, administration to um, advocate for their kid. What's your thoughts on this? I know you have strong opinions on this.
1: I do. Well, this will come as no surprise to you, but I do have strong opinions about this particular topic. And we did see this post or comment on Twitter, and it was basically commenting about school districts or a school district not engaging in either an evaluation unless there were certain things met. I I don't remember what it was, but the, the basis of it was... This person felt disconnected from the school district. And we're seeing more and more parents that feel like they need to bring an advocate or hire an attorney. And I recently did a keynote as a parent through, it was with special educators And the idea was what's the relationship and what should the relationship be between parents and educators, which I think we have so many educators listening, but we have a lot of people that aren't in education, but they are parents. Regardless of whether or not you have a child with an ability or not, here's what I can tell you. When parents feel disconnected from the school system, they disengage and everyone puts their guard up. We also see in a lot of our systems that the minute that parents ask for something, Kate Swenson being on our podcast, the author of Forever Boy, when she was talking about her experience, I think that for a lot of parents, when we advocate or ask for something, that many times the school district also puts the guard up, um, whether it be resource-based, belief-based. There's a lot of different reasons for it, but we see then that things can become combative. Parents are on guard, the school district's on guard, And that relationship between school and home really does matter. But when parents feel like school isn't listening, school isn't responding, a lot of times then their next step is to engage an advocate or an attorney. I don't know. What are some of your thoughts? I'm sure that you've got some because we always have thoughts on that. So, you know, honestly, I have
0: a perspective of I feel like if a parent finds it necessary to get an advocate, hire an advocate, my initial thought for myself is that I'm disappointed because I feel like at that point, your communication with the parent has been poor, or there's been some sort of hurdle that you couldn't get through on your own, that you need to bring in an outside person. So I would personally feel disappointed in myself. Um, But that's just because I think, As adults, and if you really want to do what's best for a kid, that should always be the basis of the conversation. It shouldn't have, yes, it has something to do with resources and, you know, what we can and can't do, but there's a creative thinking process that goes into some of those things. And I think people just want what's best for their kids. And I think it's our job to make them feel like they can trust us and that we have their kids' best interest at heart and we can figure something out for them. I think, like you said, when you damage the relationship with a family, it takes forever to get back. Forever. And I mean, especially if there's other kids in the family and then it's like a perpetual thing where you are trying to repair a relationship instead of just build an organic one with people. And that's hard. I think that's a really hard way to start a school year, end a school year, um, anything like that. And I don't, and we talk about this in the book too. There are no crazy parents. There are parents that are louder. There are parents that advocate harder, but somewhere in their like Perpetual long story about what happened are pieces of the truth. And so you have to be self reflective enough
1: to know that and then think, what are we going to do about it? So, one of the things that I think when we think about damaging that relationship, I don't, I think that 99% of the time the relationship doesn't have to be damaged. I can think recently over the past, let's say, year that I've had friends or family members who know someone who knows someone and they'll say, can I just reach out to you, Courtney, and ask you about my situation at school? Sure. I'm sure that happens to you because yeah. you're an administrator. It's happened to me. And almost every single time, it's a lack of communication that is happening that the parent is reaching out or asking for something. And the school district is either A, not responding, B, having a delayed response, or C, it's a combative type of situation. Those are the the most recent situations that I've dealt with. And I think what you're saying is true. We can avoid all of that if we have a relationship, if yeah. we pick up the phone, if we ask people to talk to, I mean, parents are emotional. we They send us their most important things, their money and their children. I have a field service director that I work with that says that, and I love it because it's true. And yeah. we take really great care of both. I don't care if you've got a kid in high school. I don't care if you've got a kid in EI moving into EC, whatever that looks like, it's hard. It is hard to be a parent and send whatever age kid that you have into a school system. And if you feel like they need something, you should feel like you can ask for it. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of times that I'll talk to different educators and they will come up to me and say, hey, like, can I tell you my experience? And sometimes being in the school system and knowing what you know as an educator can make it even harder as a parent. Mm -hmm. But I think that we can resolve so many things with really effective communication and listening to people and being kind. There's been plenty of times that I've watched situations that parents come forward and said something and administratively hands go up, eyes roll, not going to tolerate that. Not on my watch. Like it's not gonna happen. We're gonna respect whatever the parent is saying. We're absolutely going to hear what that is. It doesn't need to be a fight. We no. you know, as educators and as parents, um, the hope would be that we can put our guard down. But I'm telling you, once that relationship is ruined, it takes a really hard time to get it back. But we we are all about eliminating the term crazy parent. Oh, yeah. Vocabulary and education.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I do think that the communication piece, I think both parties need to be transparent, right? Like I think if the parent is frustrated about something or they want to know something or something's bothering them, absolutely call. Don't be afraid of people thinking that you're crazy or somebody judging your situation. Like you got to let people know when something's wrong in order for you to find a solution. On the flip side, I do think that we have to put more of a human trait on with our parents than we do. Um Like a legal trait. And I know that sounds bad, but I think that people lose the human side of like being an actual good human and responding to somebody and listening and being like, okay, you know, don't, this is my advice from Kate coach, not from Principal of, you know, River Valley or whatever that is. But I think that those two things can be the same as long as you have a good relationship with that family. That was a tangent.
1: I went on a tangent. I really liked it. You know what I like about that as a mom? I wish that things were much more human and less of the, the legal. Yeah. um, We talk about this all of the time, but it needs to happen because I can't tell you how many times that parents will say, I was so intimidated. I didn't like, I, we need to put the human in everything that we do. And I think that's why a lot of people listen to this podcast because maybe they're sitting in organizations that aren't doing that, or they don't feel that, or uh, their parents that feel disconnected from the system. Now I'm on a tangent
0: again. I know. I, I always go on tangents when I think about things. You know what else is really busy right now? Hiring season for people. We haven't talked about this.
1: Yeah. there's. <laughs> you've been hiring people. I think hiring people is the most important thing. It is. We can do outside of that human relationship piece because you got to put the best people in front of kids every single day. You know, me, they used to make fun of me because when I was superintendent, I had like a 27 step hiring hiring process, but I got you. Hey, it worked. Hey, it did work. I am going to say it's funny because we, I had one
0: open position because I have to open up an extra section of a grade level. And so I have over 60 people apply for my um, one grade level position, which is phenomenal. Um, I had like internal people, I had external people. And it was so funny because I always say the same thing. I don't care about what you know about the curriculum. I don't care if you're like the best math expert in the world or you're so great at ELA. I care about your, you as a person. Like if I put you in front of kids, are they going to feel comfortable with you? Do I think that you have a good sense of humor with them? Do I think you're going to be able to call their parent? Like I always say, if there is a situation in class, would you email or would you call? And the person I ended up hiring was like, oh, I would call them to ask them to have an in-person meeting, (laughs) which I was like, yeah. Yeah love you. Um, but that's like one of the things with, that I think I look at and it's funny because sometimes, you know, I have people come in and interview with me and a lot of times they're like, oh, I would pick this person because they have experience and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to.
1: And finally they were like, oh, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for. <laughs> I think that's important though. And you know, what yeah. people need to know what you stand for. I would say over the course of, my time as an administrator, that changed for me. I think there were times that I was pretty good at that, but then there were other times that I was hyper-focused on like data analytics, um, that type of thing. And that, that never really went well when I went that direction, I'll be honest with you. But when I thought about the relationship piece, it did. Do you want to give our listeners like what's one of your favorite interview questions to ask? Because I bet some of them would love to work with you?
0: Well, I do ask the question from our podcast. Like I'll say their name, like so-and-so is, and I ask them to finish it. Um, That's good. Look at you, you know, and I, I did have somebody you know, when you, you meet somebody and you're interviewing them and you can really tell by their story that they mean what they say, right? Like your like, heart goes out to them. And I had somebody interview and they did the most beautiful job, not because they had all the right answers, but when I ended up saying, you know, why do you want this grade level at this building specifically and whatever? And they told this beautiful story about their, you know, such and such grade teacher when they had them and how it changed her life and how she like, and I was like hooked from her story from that point on. And then I said, you know, so and so is her name is, and she said, "Funny." And she said, "I know you think that that's maybe not the answer you're looking for, but I think that kids deserve to laugh when they're in school." And I said, "Oh, I love you. Like I think that you are such a great human right now, and that is a really different answer than other people are giving me." And I know that sounds silly, but um, I just think about kids' experiences in school. They only have one year in second grade of their whole life, one year in third grade of their whole life, like those experiences that you give them, they're never going to get back. Yes, I want you to teach them to read, to write, to do great at math, but really more importantly, I want you to teach them to be good people. And I want them to be able to come to you if something's wrong and problem solve and learn how to be an adult and learn how to ask questions and learn how to advocate for themselves. So those are things that I really look for in people, which now I'm just like giving it away what I'm looking for, but.
1: (laughs) Hey, it shouldn't be a secret. If that's what you're looking for, I think that we should put things like that out there. It was reminding me that, so when I was a building principal, I had to send three final candidates to the superintendent and um, I loved my superintendent. And so I was fairly new. It was probably my first year and I will never forget that I sent three candidates and she always made me arrive with the candidate because she wanted to like interview this person, grill them right in front of me. (laughs) So we interviewed this girl and first of all she swears within the first five the girl minutes, the girl interviewing swears and <laughs> like, what what swear word did she say i think she said ass honestly okay i know so and it was and i didn't well you know i mean i it didn't phase me in that moment but i was like ooh okay wow and so the superintendent starts like I can see that she's doodling. <laughs> and and so I thought this is not going to go well. And so then we asked her three words to describe herself. And one of her words were mean, mean. <laughs> Stop it. Are you serious? No, oh, I swear. But she goes mean, but you know, like, that's what kids would say. I wouldn't define myself like that. But I just think when you can be so strict. Some, and so she gets up and leaves and the superintendent looks at me and says, so clearly she's not getting the job. And right now I'm wondering if I should like fire you. Like what, yeah, is. this is what you're bringing to me. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, I think that hiring is so important because you can only see so much as well in an interview. Yeah. You can Only see. And so you have to just take your time to do it the right way. And I always felt like some people did not look great on paper, but you met them and they were yeah. incredible. And then yeah. other people, they might look great on paper and you meet them, and you think this is not going to work in any way, shape or form. So you have to just do your due diligence. But I think that hiring is such an important piece, but you're telling me that story and it just gave me PTSD that I, I was like, oh, that was an epic fail on my part. I yeah. well, there are some sample.
0: things that people said in interviews that I was like, I would never say this, but you know what I will say to anybody listening that is going for interviews right now and they're teaching or they're trying to get teaching jobs. The one thing I I respect so much about people is the amount of people who didn't get the job for me, but that reached out and asked for feedback because I sent them a message saying like, Hey, you didn't get the job. Good luck in your job search. We had a lot of qualified candidates, whatever. Please reach out to me if you would like some feedback, you know, uh, on the interview process here or any feedback I can offer you to help support you in your future. And I typically only get like one person that might reach out to me to say like, can you give me some other feedback? And this time I had seven, which was a lot. Um, And I was really appreciative of that because I felt like A, they obviously really wanted this job and B, they obviously really wanna know how to be better. And I think there's always, that's always a positive about somebody. I'll never forget
1: that. I think that's great. And we have a whole section in the book and we're talking a lot about the book, but actually it leads right into it. We have an entire section about asking for feedback, the importance of it, how to do it, what it looks like. And we don't see a lot of people doing that because it forces you to look in the mirror to actually say, what, what should I have done better? What could I have done better? We also have several people reaching out, out to us right now who are in the midst of interviews and doing different things. And they listen to the podcast and they find some inspiration, uh, their weekly inspiration. But if you're out there and you're still looking, keep going, keep going. Yeah.
0: Keep I mean, it. my assistant principal right now, Sarah, love her. She's phenomenal. Great. She does an amazing job. She's like a sponge. She picks everything up. She runs with it. She's efficient. And she'll tell you, she'll be the first person to come on here and say like, she had applied to be my AP four years ago and I didn't hire her then, but I do remember her calling and asking to sit down and ask for all this feedback and what she could do better next time and what I was looking for. And when she resubmitted, obviously, when we started working together this year, I was like, I'm a hundred percent going to call her back in because she took the time to be reflective and wanted to know like, what could I do next time? Because this is a place I really want to be. So people don't forget that.
1: Yeah. I think that's great. Well, we better introduce
0: our guest. So we have our guest today that came from Scott England. He is one of our listeners. He has a podcast anchored in education and he connected us
1: with Shishol. Shishol.
0: I'm so happy
1: right now. I'm so happy that you messed something up. I am so Happy! I am like reveling in you making a mistake. I want everyone to hear this because when we interviewed her, I could not pronounce her name, and Kate just messed it up. And I, before we got on, I said you're gonna do it, so I don't mess it up. Although I feel like I'm really good, and it's Sheetal. It's it Sheetal. is a Sheetal Shaw. I don't know why I just did that I had like I had like a tongue tie.
0: So, anyways, Sheetal Shaw is on our podcast today. And she's had an amazing life trajectory she you know was a tutor when she was younger she became a teacher she left education she went and became um worked in the business realm she also helped in big brothers big sisters and most recently she has written a book to inspire young females um, that they can be anything that they want to be so we're going to bring her on next talk with her and she's going to give you all her wisdom and guidance and hopefully you tell me again how I can pronounce it. Okay, so now from our Sparkle sister, Dr. Bhavna Sharma Lewis.
2: Hi everybody, this is Bhavna Sharma Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. What is your mantra? My husband and I recently did our vision boards together and one of the things that we started to ask ourselves was, what's your mantra? What are the words that you live with and by each day? His was be consistent and be consistently good. Mine was live out loud, be extra, and sparkle on. It was such a good exercise for us to do together because it really helped us talk about what is going to drive our vision and our goals for the future. And guess what? The future starts right now. So what are the words that you want to live by each day to achieve your goals and vision? These are the words that become your brand These are the words that become your vision. These are the words that become your action. And these are the words that become your way of life. Your mantra comes alive through action and your mantra is what other people see, hear, and feel from you each day. Your mantra shapes your character, your reputation, and your legacy. So ask yourself, what is your mantra? What are the words that you live by? Are you consistent? Are you consistently good? And do you sparkle on? I know I try to every day. Cheers to living your best life and sparkle on.
1: Well, this is an exciting interview. So Kate, one of the things that I'm loving about the podcast is that we have a contingency of males who listen to this podcast religiously. And I have to give a shout out to Scott England who has his own podcast called Anchored in Education. He's incredible. And he reached out about today's guest and said, Courtney and Kate, you need to interview her. So we have Sheethal Shaw with us today, and we are super, super excited for this interview. So welcome to Unsupervised Leadership.
3: Thank you. I am so excited to be here and get to know both of you. I'm really grateful.
1: Well, we don't want to be competitive, but we want you to leave here and feel like uh, this was a way more fun interview than you had with (laughs) Uh Oh, (laughs) I'm totally kidding. So let's go ahead and get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And we always start our podcast with what is your favorite drink?
3: <laughs> um, uh, uh, like uh, like alcoholic drink or? <laughs> Listen, Whatever. we're here for all of it. Yeah, it's okay. awesome. Awesome. Um, that's a tough question because, um, you know, I, I love my drinks, um, all kinds of drinks. Um, but I think um, I'm thinking about I think it was about a year ago. I was visiting a friend in D.C. I live in Atlanta, Georgia um i grew up in new york and I, I was visiting a college friend in dc and we were out in a really cute bistro you know people watching and i had a um french 75 have you had that before no but kate may, may have yeah i have
0: had a french 75 and those are good
3: they're so good um you know i i love a little bubbly like i have my sparkling water every night my kids make fun of me for it i'm so routine about it i love fizz and so this was like such a great balance of the fizz and refreshment. And it ha- it's not too sweet, it's a little tangy. So, yeah, I'd say um, that would be one of my favorites. And um, it's a little hard to find. I haven't been able to find too many restaurants or bartenders that know how to make one. So, yeah. Well, you're in luck because
1: Kate is a former bartender and she can make anything. <laughs>
3: I think we'll need to hang out in person. Yeah. <laughs>
1: totally, totally. So talk to us a little bit about you and your background and why do you think Scott was so interested in us talking to you?
3: I have no idea, <laughs> um, but I, so a little bit about me. Um, I, I grew up in New York um, and as a kid, you know, I loved reading, writing and, and tutoring my stuffed animals and um and it was those were just hobbies that i did on the side for fun that i never really thought i would pursue seriously as a career until much later in life and i continued tutoring all through um high school and college and it was around like my mid 25s i guess like a quarter life crisis um you could say where that call to teach just felt really strong, um, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. So I switched careers. I was a marketing manager um, working in the corporate sector, and I, you know, went to went into teaching. And my first job as an educator out of graduate school was at an all girls public school in New York. Um, and then I later moved to Atlanta, where I continued working in an all girls school. And being in that um, really like female driven, empowering environment for, you know, 15 years, or maybe it was a little bit longer than that, you know, it really actually helped me find um, my voice um, and helped me find, you know, my confidence um, as an educator, um, as a mother, um as a sister and also in 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 who i was as a human being you know and i found how powerful it was to be in that environment for so long you know i grew up um you know very much in a patriarchal culture um my my parents were really you know strong supporters of making sure i you know had a career and an education um but the culture that i you know um, the, the Indian culture that I grew up with, you know, there's still a strong presence of, you know, um, of a patriarchy. I also grew up in a home with a lot of boys. I was, you know, uh, I had uh, an older brother and and two older cousin brothers that lived with us. And so, um, so I think com- growing up in that environment and then being, th- you know, working in such a female empowered environment, you know, that, that experience was, um so pivotal for me, and it it, it was um, transformative um, for me and helped me realize how valuable it was um, in helping me um, see myself as a leader and as a professional. Um, As a teacher, I was also really encouraged um, by the grace of my school to bring in diverse viewpoints as much as I could into my curriculum i taught world studies um, uh, and before i went into school administration and I, I it be teaching that subject you know really allowed for me to bring in diverse viewpoints and stories um, a lot easier than if i had taught another subject and so from that experience you know i saw how valuable it was when students especially students of color um uh, students um or marginalized groups when they saw themselves in their curriculum and they saw themselves in the stories that they read um how powerful that can be for them and so i think those experiences um really shaped what i wanted to do now which was um write children's books that inspire students um inspire children to see themselves and see their heritage reflected in the pages that they read.
1: Mm. So you left teaching.
3: I did. I left about a little over a year ago um, so that I could pursue um, the writing full time and also really be able to see what else I was capable of doing, you know, having that business background, having that marketing background. um, I was at a point in my career where I... I wanted to have more impact on empowering girls and empowering um, children of color, especially South Asian kids. And I wanted to see what I could do um, beyond the classroom.
1: Mm, I love that. That actually leads perfectly into Kate's question. So take it away.
0: Sheetal, I love to stalk people before they come on the podcast. So (laughs) like reading all about you, you have such an interesting trajectory of your career path, right? Like you went to an all-girl school in New York. You were a tutor. You helped with big brother, big sister organization, which is amazing. I love that organization. So I love that you helped out with that. You went into corporate America, you left, you're an author. So you have a bunch of different life experiences. I you're would
1: such say. such a stalker. She's
0: yeah. like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I could tell that like, since you were young, you've always been an advocate for women in education. So can you talk to our listeners about your book? Like, And if you can, what do you hope readers Learn from the book, whether they're adults, kids, teachers, educators, anybody.
3: Yeah. Um, so, Shakti Girls—it's a collection of poems about inspiring remarkable women from from India, um, women that you you know students and children wouldn't normally hear about in the textbooks that they read and. Um, the books that they would normally pick up um, from their local bookstores. So, you know, stories of women that that are sort of like unsung heroes, but have such remarkable stories of resilience and overcoming adversary um, that I knew that um students would find um inspiring. And so it's a collection of poems. So they're rhyming stories. Um, and so and I wrote them in rhyme particularly to help engage younger readers um, in reading biographies. I was inspired to write them in that format um, by my son. He was, I think, six or seven at the time. And, you know, the world studies teacher and me, you know, I love to bring in um, nonfiction stories into our home. And, And so I knew that to really hook him in learning about these stories, I'd have to write it in a format that would be fun to read. Um, and my educator background, um, I also knew the the brain science in the ben- the benefits of 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 learning and rhyme, and how that engages memory uh, engages learning, but also boosts memory. And so I hope when you know children read the books, um, read, read Shakti Girls, that they're inspired by the stories. They are they they see that they can you know, be anything that they want to be, that, you know, regardless of their gender, regardless of their racial background, you know, that they can um, aspire to um, following their passion and wanting to be who they wanna be and not have to conform or oblige to what society expects them to be. And so um, I hope, you know, the students inspires, you know, um, Children to really, you know, embrace their unique shakti. So shakti means your inner power, and so the stories of these women, you know, they all embrace and, and embody shakti in different ways. And so your shakti can manifest through all the, you know, different talents that a person might have. So maybe it's through the arts, maybe it's through politics or activism. And so, all these women come from different backgrounds and have different. Um, they all have shakti, but it manifests in different ways. And in each poem, there is a message directed to the reader to help them think about what is it, what what does their shakti look like? Because everyone has it, um, and it it's just a matter of recognizing how our you know how our shakti comes to the surface and so really helping our children read these poems and and recognize and see themselves in these women and see that oh yeah i i have shakti too and yeah. for children who you know don't have an indian heritage or background i hope it also Um, opens up their world and helps break down any stereotypes that they may have about people or women from this part of the world, Um, helps them, you know, build their capacity for compassion and empathy for lives that are lived differently from theirs. And and for boys, I think it's so valuable for boys to learn about the achievements of women. And when they read stories of inspiring women, like in Shakti Girls, I hope it kind of breaks down their notions or any unconscious bias they have about women and and their abilities.
1: So let me ask you, you've got boys of your own, right? Yes. How old are they?
3: They are 10 and eight. I had to think about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, Bless you. Cause I'm living with a nine-year-old. So thank you uh, for, for, you know, hanging in there with the eight and 10 year olds. So you make it a point to talk with them about gender bias. Yeah. So tell us what that actually looks like as a mom and give our listeners some advice on how they can have brave conversations with their own sons.
3: Yeah, it, it, so a lot of times, our conversations around gender bias they happen in the moment. I don't intentionally plan and sit down and have conversations with them about um, about gender bias because um, then it's it. I, I tried doing that, and it would. Um, come across as forced almost, and they would like drag their feet and be like, oh, mom is lecturing us. Mm -hmm. And so as it comes up, as things come up um, in the home, whether it's about chores, whether it's about um, learning um, what's going on in the news, like around Roe versus Wade, you know, really having those conversations with my boys directly and intentionally as they happen. So, you know, being prepared to um, keep those topics on the table as they happen. And I remember um, we had taken a trip to India um, in December, this past December, and it was the first time we had taken the boys and it was the first time I had been in 15 years. And we had gone out to see family um, that lived out in a more you know, r- remote area in, in one of our villages that my family had, um, my parents had grown up in. And coming home, we were reflecting on that and my older son had noticed like, Hey mom, like I noticed that when we were out in the village, you know, the men ate first and then the women ate after, and you know that he's like, I why 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 do they do that, you know? And I was so proud of him for recognizing that and being aware of that, and and really wanting to engage in that conversation. And me instead of like I wasn't prepared to have it. I didn't really know what to say, but. Not losing the opportunity or not missing the opportunity to have that conversation with him and dissecting it, and what that meant in terms of um, gender roles in different societies in different homes, um, and what we can do at home so that it things are more gender equal mm-hmm. um, and that you know in our in our family, like we all sit down and we eat together. Um, But there might be limitations, you know, in terms of there might be practical reasons why in other homes, you know, things might be done differently. Um, But in our homes, the roles are different. We see our dad in the kitchen, you know, for that reason, um, so that mom can also have time to spend with you, but then also has the space to, you know, pursue her professional endeavors. And so, I think you know, being like being ready and willing to have those conversations as they come up is probably my 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 biggest tip, you know. And being okay with not being prepared um, to have those conversations is okay, as long as you're honest and open with your kids and with your sons, um, and be willing to kind of do the research and ask the questions together.
0: When a lot of times when parents hear, hey, we're bringing on culturally responsive books, parents are like, wait, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Are you teaching about a culture? Are you teaching about a religion? Are you allowed to do that in a school? You know, those kind of questions that kind of come up when we um, advocate or put different books in there and we just try to talk about it. And Mm -hmm. so do you think there's a way that we can better, I don't want to say advertise, but better educate adults and kids on the different topics of books without people having a preconceived notion about it?
3: Yeah, no, I definitely think, you know, talking about building awareness of the, you know, of the world at large is, you know, I think definitely a really effective way in talking to parents about the value of learning about um, cultures and people from around the world. And that when when we don't learn about the stories of, you know, the global majority, for example, then we are... um, Robbing ourselves from inspiring stories that our, all our kids could benefit from um, and lessons that we could all benefit from and and so in and so a huge part of that is building our awareness of you know of lives of stories of cultures from around the world and seeing that there is so much to gain from learning about those stories, then. Um, than if we were not to learn about those stories and so um and so in, if and definitely when it comes to religion you know talking about awareness and um building capacity for compassion and empathy for others um is really the goal um versus you know any anything beyond of like um anything beyond that so it's really around awareness empathy and compassion is when you know if I've been asked about you know why does your curriculum include you know so many um you know diverse stories and and um examples from global history it's about building awareness of the world outside of ourselves um with recognition of what our what our role is in the larger global history that makes, yeah. Sense. Yeah.
0: that makes a lot of sense. I also used to be a history teacher. So for me, it's, that's just such a, a pivotal part of what we should teach kids in education to look beyond their community, their home, you know, their town, like across, just across the world. So it's interesting to see how people look at that word and take it into all different kinds of contexts all the time.
3: Definitely. And I also think about, you know, we're raising adults here, And Mm -hmm. if we want our adult, if we want these children to be successful adults, um, they need to have the leadership skills to know how to work with people that are different from them that and and see the value in that as well I mean they're going to be part of teams, they are going to be part of cohorts. Where they will want diverse perspectives and views and voices at their table, and that is um, a valuable tool to have, and so we want to raise our children to be effective leaders in the you know workplace and beyond. And there's no better way to do that than really helping them learn at a young age, the value of diversity.
1: We love Barbara Walters. We know that she's no longer with us, but we are all about being professional interviewers. And so she always asked people that she interviewed this question. So we're going to ask you, are you ready? Sure. All right. Finish (laughs) this sentence for us. Sheetal is
3: a problem solver.
1: Mm, That's awesome. Why would you say that?
3: I always look for solutions to problems, you know, I will, I have a hard time not thinking of the solutions, and then I have a hard time not acting on the solutions. And so in a lot of ways, Shakti girls, um, I say it was a cathartic experience because I was writing for a solution I am working towards um, being part of the solution of a greater problem around um, represent diverse representation in Kidlet.
0: Okay, Sheetha, how can people follow you um, if they wanna see your stories? Or, I mean, I know we can get your book on Amazon. So what do you prefer people to follow you on? Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, what's your favorite?
3: Um, I'd say Instagram's my favorite, which is funny because if you asked me a year ago, it would have been something else. Um, But Instagram has hooked me for the past year. um, And then you can also find me on my website. Um, I have a newsletter that I send out monthly.
0: Awesome. And then we have what we call F4 leaders, a fun, fabulous, and fierce female. So do you have leaders that you think our listeners should know, should follow, or people that you're especially proud of that you want to give a shout out to? Uh,
3: You know what? I have lately been reading up on Lisa Damore. Have you, have you heard of her? She's an author psychologist that I've been I've been following for the past 15 years. She's been instrumental in helping me navigate professional and personal um, you know, issues, you know, in educating children and raising my own children. And I've, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, along with Oppi um, Heritage Month and Jewish Heritage Month. But I've been thinking a lot about um, the mental health crisis in young girls. And I've also been thinking about, you know, the mental health, um, uh, the, the lack of mental health research in South Asian communities. And so I've been um, thinking about that a lot the past few days and kind of leaning on her work um in around in working with teens and adolescents with their mental health and i think she just released a book not too long ago i think it's called the emotional lives of teenagers um and and so she's you know and i follow i listen to her podcast as well and so she's um just been um i've been a huge fan of her work and have just found her advice incredibly helpful
1: that's amazing. I live with a teenager. So I'm going to buy her book and I'm going to start listening to her
3: podcast. <laughs> yes. she's, awesome. she's pretty insightful. I, I, I had the chance to meet her a couple of years ago in a leadership workshop. And yeah, I was, I was, she's incredibly approachable and just has just a plethora of advice to give on raising teens. So yeah, definitely recommend her.
1: <laughs> well, we awesome. will definitely follow her. Sheetal, thank you for being on Unsupervised Leadership today. We really appreciate that you've taken the time to share with our audience.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So everybody, we were so fortunate to have Sheetal Shah on today. Her book is amazing. It's an easy read kids will love it. So if you haven't already purchased it or looked into it, you can find it on Amazon, follow Sheethel on her website or on Instagram. She's over all the other social media sites. So that's the best option for her. And always remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, you can always sit with us until next week.